Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 8th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this morning is entitled, Borrowing Trouble. Longfellow said, into each life some rain must fall, and it will. There's enough worry about, uh, there's enough to worry about with all that is out of our control. No need to go looking for more. Maybe someone should have offered this wisdom down at South Park Mall before they decided to replace the annual Christmas tree with a winter glacier. Don't borrow trouble. Well, apparently there was a blizzard of complaints and threats to boycott the mall during the Christmas season and the Christmas tree. I don't know whether they'll continue to call it a Christmas tree and not a holiday evergreen, but the Christmas tree has been reinstalled. Don't borrow trouble. Tomorrow's trouble. Today has enough worries of its own. At least that's what Jesus said. I told this wonderful tale from the Hebrew Scripture to the children. I want to read the text to you and make a few notes as we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the prophet, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Where is Sidon? Not in Israel. North of the border of Israel in Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon, So interesting to me that so often the Bible, the Old Testament, which is directed at the people of God from Israel, and the New Testament as well, picks someone from outside to be the exemplar of faith. So interesting, the centurion, the stranger, the woman from Sidon, the stranger who would not have been Jewish, who would not have been of the same culture or the same religious background or the same ethnic background, someone outside the faith. And I wonder what that says about the quote-unquote insiders and the quote-unquote outsiders. Go to Sidon and live there, for I have commanded a widow to feed you. Um, Not Rhonda Stewart, who can bake, you know, everything you need. You know, go live with the widow there. She's going to take care of you. The only thing worse than being a slave or a woman in ancient patriarchal culture was to be a woman without a man. Widows were destitute. They had no status. They had no place. They had no means of support. It's why the Jews established that law they called leveret marriage. If your husband died and he had a brother, the brother took you as his wife, so you wouldn't be a widow. There was nothing worse than being a widow. Why in the Bible, then, so often does God say to the widow or the barren woman, the woman with no hope, with no help, God chooses these unlikely characters. Sarah was 99 when God said to her, I'm going to give you a child and make of you a great nation. And old, barren, old Sarah laughed. 
and the nation of Israel was born. Mary was a virgin. In this story, again, the one with nothing is chosen. She will feed the prophet. Where there is no life, God brings life. Where there is nothing, that's where the story of faith always begins. So Elijah set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. Reminds me of my mother who loves to pick up sticks. At the lake house, when we go over there, everybody else is in the lake, and my mother is picking up sticks. She just loves picking up sticks. This woman was picking up sticks for a different reason. It was because she needed them to build a fire to cook by. Elijah called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel. You know, a man could do that. He could ask a woman to bring water so that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. He said to her, also, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But the widow said, as the Lord your God lives. And I wonder if there's some irony there. This woman from another culture, another religious background, another persuasion altogether says, as the Lord your God lives. And it makes me wonder about righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? In our opening litany, we quoted the word from the prophet Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. What does it mean to be righteous? In the Bible, it means to do faith. Not to have faith by believing something. It means to do. And sometimes people who didn't seem to have much faith were the ones that were the most righteous. Because they still went on and did. This woman is yet another example of the person supposedly outside of faith who becomes the righteous example. So is it your God or my God? She said to him, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Literally, it was the last thing she had in the story, the last meal that she had, and she didn't know where the next one was going to come from, and she couldn't see any other future. I'm going to go home, and we're going to have one more meal, and that's it. It may be only in those moments when everything else is stripped away, when we have nothing else to hold on to, when we are confronted with the stark reality of life and mortality, that true faith can be expressed. Elton Trueblood, former chaplain of Harvard University, said, Faith is not believed without, is not belief without proof. It is trust without reservation. And Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. It's always the first word. I think always the first word in the Bible that comes from a messenger of God. Do not be afraid. Or as the angel of Tableau used to say, fear not. It's the first word of faith. He says, don't be afraid. Go and do as I have told you. And the second word is go. You got to do something in faith. 
And Elijah says, but first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. And after that, make something for yourself and your son. The audacity of the prophet to ask of this woman the very last meal she had. Make it for me first. Doesn't that sound just like a preacher? Make it for me first. And then you can have the rest for you and your son. Seems to me that this is the crux of the matter. Who comes first? What comes first? Do we only trust to faith what is left over after we have had what we need? And where's the faith in that? There is no mistake why the biblical tithe and offering of a tenth of your annual produce was to be the first tenth, not the second and not the last, the first of what you have because you know as well as I do that if we wait to give what we can spare once our needs are taken care of, needs and wants, invariably there is not enough. But it is the testimony of people of faith. It's even the testimony of people not traditionally religious who believe in generous giving that if you give first of what you have, then there will be enough. Give first and be generous and step out on faith. There will be enough. It seems like a miracle, but that's the way it works. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not I've always tried to speak plainly with you to practice as much honesty as I can when I talk about money. If you're visiting today, I apologize that you got here for the stewardship sermon. So I have never spoken of money that you give to the church as money you are giving to God. I never speak of your church contribution as what God expects. When it comes pledge time, that's a fairly typical response for many pastors, but you will never hear me say, God is expecting you to give to Park Road Baptist Church. I actually believe God's vision is larger than just Park Road Baptist Church. I'm expecting you to give to Park Road Baptist Church. I'm hoping that you will give to Park Road Baptist Church. I do believe God hopes we will learn to be generous, that as our litany said, it's the only way to really be whole, to be a person of faith, is to step out and to give what we think we can't give, to give when we think we don't have any to give. That's the only way to really be human. I do believe that until we learn to be generous, to give of who we are and what we have, we are not fully human, not living to the potential of who God created us to be in the image of God. And I do believe if we are not generous with our money, we are not generous, period. Money is just too important for us. So if we have not learned to give financially, we have not learned to give. 
One of my mentors used to say that if you want to know what someone's measure of spirituality is, look what they do with their money. This was not an opportunistic televangelist talking about trying to get your money for his prosperity, but he was right. If you have too much to give it away, you probably have too much. And if you don't have enough to give, you probably don't know what you really have to begin with. If you only give begrudgingly because the NPR campaign has finally gotten on your nerves and worn you down, or because the preacher has guilted you into it, you have not learned the lesson of generosity, the life of giving. If you think it's your money and you can just do with it what you will, you have not understood stewardship. We are stewards of the benefits and the blessings that have come our way. Some of us more fortunate than others, but we are all stewards, keepers, guardians, caretakers, but the money and the blessings are not ours to begin with. The story of the widow at Zarephath is not a story about money and tithing and pledging, except in the sense that all stories of faith are stories about money and tithing and pledging, because stories of faith are about how we give our lives and what is important. What better way for God to measure our faith? If we give our time and give our talent so that we don't have to give our money because we're quietly a little stingy and just not willing to part with our money or because we don't have enough trust to actually believe we have enough to share, then where is our faith? Today is Commitment Sunday, as you have noted. Your pledge cards are due. Our annual ministry plan task force led by Bob Clare put forth a budget for 2016. The ministry council discussed this and approved it. We provided multiple opportunities for you to study it and ask questions about it to understand how your money will be used in 2016. As your pastor and a partner along the journey in this wonderful congregation, I hope that you will give to support next year's budget. I hope you will give generously to support it. For most of the years that we have been your pastors, Amy and I have given beyond a tithe more than 10% of our gross annual income to support this church. The increase recommended for the 2016 annual ministry plan represents an increase of just $10 per month for each person who gave to the church in 2015. The Dean family will meet that recommended increase and I hope you will as well. Not because we believe God is sitting up there today watching with a scolding eye. We hope you will support Park Road Baptist Church as one way to use your money for God because this is a wonderful community and there are great things going on here. Amy and I came by the church last night and the parking lot was full. She asked me what was going on. I have no idea what was going on at our church last night, nor do I most nights of the week anymore. There was a time only a few years ago when we knew everything that was happening here. The truth of the matter is very little of it happened that we weren't here to, to be a part of it. 
But our campus is alive with activity. I don't know what goes on here during the week. There's too much for me to keep up with. You should be proud of all that is happening here because of the way you give to support this church. You should be proud of the many ways we are working across this community, with this community, to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Amy and I give because we want to support this work, and we hope you will give for the same reason. This past Tuesday, we had a wonderful conversation in our Bible study that we call Coffee and Kibitz. We discussed these words of Jesus, which Caroline read for us earlier. These are difficult words. On Tuesday, we talked about the fact that Jesus isn't telling us not to worry because I didn't get the new iPhone yet, because the new Lexus model has come out and it's not parked in my garage. That's not what Jesus is telling us not to worry about. He's talking about food and clothing and shelter. Don't worry. We concluded that you cannot understand Jesus' words here if you don't read them in context. He has been talking about almsgiving and praying and fasting, and in all of that, he speaks of priority and integrity. Don't give so others can just be impressed with how much money you have. Give in secret. Don't stand in the streets and draw attention when you pray. Go to your closet. Pray quietly. Don't walk around looking all miserable so everyone else will know that you're fasting. If you fast, do it for the right reasons. That's between you and God. Then Jesus says, and what I think is the key to understanding this chapter in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Interesting. Jesus doesn't say you can't enjoy life. He doesn't say you can't have any treasure. He says, don't store it up. And he echoes a theme that runs through the biblical witness that cautions up against storing up for tomorrow, hoarding what could be used today, worrying that we don't have enough if we share. You remember, God provided for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, but if they took more of that manna any one morning than they needed for the day, they found out the next morning it was rotten in their hand. Take what you need for today. And that's how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We need just enough for today. Maybe, ironically, Jesus is telling us that what we need to worry about is today. What we'll eat today. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Maybe Jesus is telling us we need to worry about how we will practice our faith today. How we will feed the hungry today. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Maybe Jesus is telling us we ought to worry about how we will give today, whom we will help, what we will do with the rich resources God has given us today. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Worrying about what I can do to take care of the world and my neighbor and myself and the church budget today 
is called faith. Worrying about tomorrow is just borrowing trouble. So let us be found faithful today. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.